Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. If you've read Ernest Hemingway's novels and short stories, you know that guns often play an important role in his stories. Whether he's writing about safaris in Africa Africa, or the fictional world of guerrilla soldiers in the Spanish Civil War, Hemingway often included rich asides about the guns he or his characters used. Hemingway loved firearms, and his love for them infused his writing. But what firearms did this famous hunter and marksman own? What do his guns tell us about Hemingway the man? Well, our guest today has spent the past three years researching this very topic. His name is Silvio Calabi, and he's the co-author of the book Hemingway's Guns, The Sporting Arms of Ernest Hemingway. Uh, Silvio is first and foremost a sportsman. He organizes and guides hunts all over the world. And he's also been an editor, editor of several sporting magazines for the past 30 years, and he continues to write professionally about hunting from his home in Maine. Well, Silvio, thank you for being on the Art of Manliness podcast. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Brett. Okay, so, Silvio, tell us a little bit about uh, you know why you decided to write about Hemingway's guns. It's kind of a really obscure niche topic. I mean, what inspired you to do that? Yeah, I guess it is obscure, but Hemingway himself is anything but obscure. You know, he's he's become something of a cottage industry unto himself. Um, I mean, every year, 50 years after his death, books are still written about him, such as this one, for example. But um, specifically, it came about because um, <clears throat> I was asked to contribute to a um, an academic book about Ernest Hemingway's safari writings. And, and I, <clears throat> I was asked to write a chapter about him on safari, you know, the nuts and bolts of safari, the, uh, the, <clears throat> the guns, the, the game how safaris are carried out, you know, today and in his time, so that the um, the people who read the book, you know, the academic portions of the book, would have sort of a, a foundation uh, to, to go on. And these are things that I know pretty well, so I was happy to do it. And it became so interesting. I mean, what we found out about... Uh, about the man and about uh, his guns and and so on, it, it it was so captivating that when this particular project was over, a couple of friends of mine said, you know, we we'd love to help you research his other guns, the the ones that he used in you know in the American West and in Europe and so on, and uh, and we just kept on going and uh, it turned into a book. And it, what was interesting about it was that it was a uh, uh, it, it wound up being sort of a new 
way to see Ernest Hemingway. I mean, this man's been dissected and studied 16 different ways, you know, and, and, and yet here was a new angle to the man. You know, as every hunter or shooter knows, one's choice of guns tells us a lot about this person. You know, it's a, it's a really personal decision, much like the kind of car one drives or, or, or even the person one marries. You know, it, and somebody who's well-versed in shooting lore and gun making and so on can tell a lot about an individual simply by looking at his or her guns when they arrive in camp. And his guns painted a very interesting picture of Ernest Hemingway. So what did Hemingway, what do Hemingway's guns tell us about Hemingway the man? Well, he was, he had a lifelong fixation, almost an obsession with uh, truth and credibility, you know, with knowing what he called the true gen about things. True gen was a, was a term that was coined by the Royal Air Force in World War II when he was covering the war with the RAF. The true gen was, okay, here's the real situation over Germany, for example, <laughs> that, that the RAF gave its bomber command and fighter command before they actually left England. Here's the weather, here's the state of uh, opposition, and so on. It was what you really needed to know. He was driven by this need to be really good at everything he did, and he became an expert in everything he did, or at least in everything he cared about, you know, and... and it turned out that his choice of guns really bears this out. I mean, he, he, he became a wealthy man, and he could have afforded very expensive guns that were you know, heavily engraved and made, of made with exhibition-grade wood and things like that, but he, he, he had no interest in that whatsoever. He, 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 he went straight for the high-quality, highly functional guns. They weren't necessarily the most expensive at all, but they were, they, he simply selected the ones that were really perfect for the task at hand, and then he followed through. He learned how to use them very well. And so what were Hemingway's favorite guns uh, throughout his life and his, his collection that he amassed? Did he have any particular favorites that he enjoyed the most? It, it's not fair to call him a collector because a, a collector usually buys the, uh, you know, the aesthetic flourishes, the engraving and so on. But, but he, he amassed a number of guns, uh, and they were all, as I say, these very um, useful guns. He, he had three that I, I would say were, were favorites, and two of them stayed with him his entire life. One was a, a Winchester Model 12 pump-action shotgun in 12-gauge that, judging by its serial number, he bought in the late, um, in the late teens. And this stayed with him, as I say, throughout his entire life. He figured that he put something like a quarter of a million rounds through it, and he wore every bit of finish off it. But he, he kept it up <clears throat> very well. I mean, he, he if anything, he, he over-oiled his guns. And uh, uh, somebody, actually one of his sons, told me that at the end of that gun's life, it, it was so much oil soaked into the head of the stock that when you slammed the bolt back or the, um, you know, the bolt back, the, you could actually see oil start to come out of the wood. And another was his uh, Springfield rifle. Springfield was the American uh, military uh, infantry rifle for many years, from dating from uh, 1903 till, well, really up until World War II. And 
these were available to civilians through the NRA, the National Rifle Association, and you could buy a Springfield pretty pretty inexpensively and then turn it over to a gunsmith and have it sporterized, have it turned into a, uh, a hunting rifle. And in 1930, Hemingway had Griffin and Howe, the famous gunsmithing firm in New York City, uh, do up a custom Springfield for him. And, of course, that was in the 30 out of 6 military caliber. And he carried that rifle uh, from 1930. Well, he had it until his death in 1961. And he hunted hunted hard with it. He used it in Africa on two safaris. He used it in the American West. It, It was never far... Never far away. It was really one of his signature pieces. And then there's a third one. Uh, he had a real fondness for a little, the little Woodsman 22 automatic pistol that Colts made for many, many years. He had at least three, possibly four of these, dating back from uh, you know the 19 teens up until uh, the, the, the 1950s. And he gave at least two of them away to good friends of his as as mementos. A twenty a twenty two pistol is not a serious hunting weapon, as you you know as you know, but it's it's great fun for target practice or for plinking, which is a sort of informal shooting around camp. And on safari in Africa, Hemingway used his uh, little woodsman pistol for all kinds of things. He even shot uh, scorpions as they crawled out of the. Uh, out of the firewood pile in camp. Did any of these guns that Hemingway really enjoyed using, did they end up in any of the stories or books that he wrote? Like, you know, one of the characters used a, a shotgun that he was fond of or a pistol? Yeah, he, he did that quite a bit. And in fact, that was really the, the genesis of, or the foundation of much of our research. Um, we spent a lot of time reading Hemingway's uh, novels and, and um, his uh, magazine pieces, and looking for mention of particular guns. And then as soon as I found a mention, then, we, you know, then you'd start to backtrack and, and see whether you could find any evidence that he himself owned any of these. Quite often that was the case. Uh, Hemingway liked to... He wrote about things that he knew and he understood and that he had lived. Uh, his war novels had to do with the Spanish Civil War, for example. You know, and, and he covered the Spanish Civil War for two years. Uh, and in some cases, uh, over the river and into the trees, for example, the um, Colonel Cantwell, who was the hero of that book, uh, he, he parallels Hemingway so closely that you can almost simply change the names, you know, and insert Hemingway where you have where you have uh, Richard Cantwell. It, it was. It was difficult in Hemingway's life and in his writings to know, you know, where the reality stopped and 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 the uh, literary invention uh, took over. So, what happened to these guns? Uh, I, I know he, in the book you mentioned, he he did use and own several, you know, dozens of different types of guns. What happened to him after they left his possession? Uh, are there any interesting stories, in particular, that you found about the owners that came after Hemingway? We've we've tracked down maybe maybe half of the guns in the book. Some of them are now in the hands of of, of private collectors. Uh, one is about to be sold at auction in um, two weeks, as a matter of fact. I think the most interesting story of all is is is, is again that Winchester Model 
1912 that he had his pump gun. Ernest Hemingway died in, in uh, 1961, and two years later, his wife, Mary, sent four of his guns to New York, to Abercrombie & Fitch, to be on consignment, to be sold. One of them was this uh, this really beat-up, by now ancient Model 12 pump gun. We found in the Griffin & Howe or Abercrombie & Fitch, it was the same company at that point, uh, in the ledgers, in their sales records, that it had been sold to an individual named John Nodop. Well, through sheer good fortune, we were able to find John Nodop, who uh, is now a retired Air Force chaplain in his late 60s. And in 1963, he was a, I think he was a freshman in college, and he would go into New York City to have lunch with his dad, who worked in an office somewhere in Manhattan. And then after lunch, once in a while, they would they would go into Abercrombie's and take the elevator up to the gun room on the seventh floor, which was kind of a legendary place for people, uh, you know, who, who hunted and fished and so on. So they're up there one day, and in in the the, the racks of expensive guns from England and Spain and Italy and, and America um, and Germany. John Nodop told me that he came across this really beat-up old 12-gauge pump gun, and it had a, a price tag on it that was an order of magnitude lower than anything else at Abercrombie's. And he turned to his dad and he said, look, look, here's a gun at Abercrombie's I can afford. I really want this. Well, he wound up buying it as he was uh, doing the deal. He, he asked the salesman at Abercrombie's why there was some, some rust on the gun, some pitting on the receiver. And the salesman told him that, he said, oh, this belonged to some duck hunter out on Long Island. Has, you know, used it out in the salt water. Don't worry, that'll, that'll let you just buff right out. So John took it home, took it to school, used it for many years. He put a new stock on it. Uh, he, he, he finally, in the 1980s, wound up trading it in on something else and lost track of it entirely. Well, he never gave it another thought until last Christmas when I called him out of the blue and I told him who I was and what we were working on. And, and he even remembered the serial number of this gun. And until then, he had no idea that the Model 12 that he had paid $35 for had been Ernest Hemingway's favorite shotgun. Huh. So that gun is out there probably somewhere. You know, we figured the book may well flush this thing out of the weeds. Somebody's going to read that book and say, oh, my God, serial number 525, whatever it is, you know, I, I think I have You got gun. the Hemingway gun. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme, cargo capacity means more room for your gear, and there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering, and the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. 
That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. And now back to the show. So how did you research this book? Uh, you mentioned a little bit you'd read the novels and kind of picked up on guns he mentioned. Um, but how, after that, how did you track down, you know, what happened to the guns after they left his possession? I mean, I, I can imagine this was probably something very extensive and very uh, time-intensive. It, it did take quite a long time. There, there were two sources that, that turned out to be absolutely invaluable. One was the, the sales ledgers from both Griffin and Howe and Abercrombie and Fitch. Griffin and Howe was the gunsmithing firm, and that was established in around the time of, what was that, around World War One. But in 1930, it was acquired by Abercrombie and Fitch, the famous sporting goods retailer in, in Manhattan. And um, they kept, of course, careful records of all their firearm sales. And those records exist today. Uh, there are, um, I remember right, it's something like 60,000 pages. or No, I believe it's 60 books at 12,000 pages of record. They're all, they're all in storage in a basement in New Jersey. Uh, Abercrombie and Pitch doesn't exist anymore, but Griffin and Howe does. And there's a gentleman at Griffin and Howe named Bob Beach, who is their more or less unofficial historian. And Bob has he helped us tremendously by combing these ledgers, these sales records, for any mention of Ernest Hemingway. And then he would provide us with serial numbers. The other way that it worked was if we had a serial number or a make and model and caliber of a gun, we would go to Bob and say, look, you know, have you ever found one of these in your ledgers? And once in a while, we get lucky, and he'd say, yes, by God, and it was purchased by E. Hemingway on such and such huh. a date. So that was one one really important resource. And the other was the Hemingway Archive, which is stored at the um, John F. Kennedy, Kennedy Presidential Library in Boston. Um, and I spent quite a bit of time there going through the photo files, looking for photos of Ernest Hemingway carrying one or another gun. Um, I'm probably the only person who ever went through those files looking specifically for guns. Everybody else was looking for family members or, or, or whatever. Uh, so with, with the narrative mention, with the sales information from Griffin and Howe, and with the photos uh, that we could find in the archive, that gave us, we were able to sort of triangulate in on, on certain guns. And then, but there were there were other sources as well. Um, there are a few friends and family members of, of Ernest Hemingway who still survive, uh, and they were very helpful to us. Uh, and then there was a certain amount of serendipity, and then simply the word began to get out. I mean, this, this research went on. It started in 2007, and the book was published in November of 2010. So. Uh, there was time for you know the ripples to spread far and wide. Certainly don't have the. We know that he owned more guns than what we detailed in the book, and we're still looking for them. And we certainly don't have the full story on absolutely every gun that's in the book. But we figured that the book itself would would, as I, I think I said earlier, would flush some of this some of these guns out of the weeds, and that's already begun to happen. We've We've heard of um, three more that we're researching now to, uh, you know, to establish their uh, their provenance. 
So um, we all know that Hemingway was an avid hunter. So what were some of his favorite hunts that he went on during his during his life? Well, he he grew up hunting in uh, Michigan, hunting and fishing. Um, he was posted to Europe as a uh, as a newspaper and magazine writer in the twenties, and he traveled around Europe skiing, but also hunting and fishing. And then he. In the 20s, he began to go out. He began to go to Montana and Wyoming, and he hunted out there, deer and elk and bear and and so on. Um, the high points of his hunting career were certainly his two African safaris. He went in 1933, late 33 into early 34, in East Africa, Kenya and, and, and what was then called Tanganyika, now Tanzania. And then 20 years later, he went uh, on a much longer safari, I think it was five months, in 53 and 54. An African safari is usually the uh, pinnacle of, of, of any hunter's um, career. He, he was also, I mean, much as he hunted with a rifle and hunted big game, he was first and last, I believe, a, a wing shooter, a bird hunter. And... I think he, he simply loved hunting pheasant and duck uh, out in Idaho. So when the last few years of his life, he owned a home in uh, just outside, outside Sun Valley, and he had been visiting the area for uh, for many years. Was drawn there in part by the terrific uh, bird hunting. So I think it's best to, we can we can think of him as a, as an avid lifelong bird hunter, but. Um, uh, a man who who really would never forget his African safaris. So I know this is kind of a morbid question, but I know it's something that Hemingway fans talk about. In fact, my dad and I were having this conversation before uh, I found about your book, and it's something they wonder about: is do we know which gun Hemingway used to end his life? Actually, I think we do, um, and it is a bit of a morbid question, but I have to say that. Most people who, you know, they hear about this book, that's one of the first questions they, they ask. And it's interesting, the, the, the conventional wisdom has it that he killed himself with a boss shotgun. Boss is a, uh, is a very upper-end firm in London that builds a few very expensive uh, shotguns and, and annually, or largely by hand. And we thought this was strange because we could find no evidence that he ever owned a boss. Uh, so we began to dig. Roger Sanger, one of my colleagues, lives in Sun Valley. Purely by chance, well, let me back up and say that the reason that there's a mystery around this gun is because after <clears throat> Hemingway's death, his family turned the gun over to a local welder in Ketchup in Idaho with orders to destroy the gun and dispose of the pieces because the family did not want it to become some kind of a macabre curiosity. Roger lives in Sun Valley, as I say, and uh, he heard that um, not all the pieces had been disposed of. And it turned out that the welding company that had destroyed the gun in 1961 was still there and still in business and now being operated by the grandson of the man who cut the gun up 50 years ago. And so Roger went to meet him and 
the man said, oh, would you like to see some pieces of that gun? And it turned out that his grandfather had kept five little scraps of this thing. Hmm. And I, when I say little scraps, I mean it. That's exactly what they were. They mm-hmm. fit into a matchbox. And um, Roger was able to borrow the pieces. We photographed them. We looked at them. Uh, Steve and Roger, my two co-authors, and I all had the same reaction when we saw the pieces. And that was, this is no boss gun. Mm-hmm. Well, if it's not a box, what is it? So we, we we went through what sort of a CSI-style investigation. It, it, we called on some English gun makers. We called on some gun collectors, some real specialists. And we realized after a while that what we were looking at was pieces of a particular gun made by another English firm, the W.C. Scott and & Company. And... We already knew that Hemingway, in fact, owned a Scott gun. So by comparing the engraving patterns on the remnant little bits of steel and so on, um, we think we were, we were, we're, we're quite definite that um, uh, the gun that he killed himself was, in fact, his WNC Scott gun. And sort of the last piece of the puzzle was that the Scott gun itself is nowhere to be found. Hmm. So. You know, it may well have been the one that was cut up and destroyed. So at this point, when I tell the story, <clears throat> someone always says, well, oh, oh, and then the, the major pieces of the gun were were taken out into a field and simply buried. So then someone always says, well, can't you go find that field and go out there with a shovel? <laughs> <laughs> well, it turns out that um, uh, there's a house that was now sitting in that field, and the house, in fact, belongs to Adam West, who is TV's Batman. Yeah. So uh, those pieces are, are long gone. Huh. Well, well it's very, uh, very sad uh, story of how he ended his life, but it's you know, very interesting how you guys were able to uncover that um, kind of mystery. Because, yeah, it gets floated around all the time. People always, I, whenever we talk about Hemingway, that's one of the questions that always comes up. And when uh, I told my dad about this book, that was one of the first questions that came to, came to his mind. So, yeah, and if, if you go to Wikipedia, you know, for instance, and it, it'll mention the Boss Gun and the Wikipedia entry on, on uh, Ernest Hemingway. So again, we don't know where this this came from, but we're huh. quite confident that that's you know that that's not true, and and we now have the answer. Well, you guys need to get on there and update it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, Silvio, our, our time is running up. Uh, before we leave, is there any place that our listeners can go to to learn more about your work? I would invite people to go to uh, Amazon and uh, look for Hemingway's guns. For one thing, it's uh, far and away the least expensive, uh, the lowest price on the gun anywhere, and Amazon's been doing very well with the book. But um, uh, they also sell a number of my uh, earlier books. Uh, they're, they're out of print, but used copies are available. Um, I worked for almost 30 years for outdoor magazines, fishing and hunting magazines, as an editor and a publisher, and I'm sort of semi-retired now, and and, um, gone back to uh, my original love, which was writing about these things, Uh, but I think Amazon is a good place to start. Excellent. Well, Silvio, thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. Well, it's been a pleasure for me, too. Our guest today was Silvio Calabi. He's the co-author of the book Hemingway's Guns, and you can check out his book and buy it at Amazon.com. 
Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And until next time, stay manly. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.